Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Friday, December 2nd. I don't know if you've heard this yet, especially if you're not in California, but California is exploring the question of reparations. A task force will make recommendations next year to Governor Gavin Newsom on a plan to compensate African-American state residents for the economic legacy of slavery and racism. It'll be up to lawmakers in the state to act on those recommendations, but just the fact that they're looking at them with an official group is a big first step. So we'll talk now about the task force's work so far and why California which only gained statehood about 10 years before the start of the Civil War and wasn't officially a slave state, is even considering reparations for slavery and leading the way in a certain respect on that. And we'll talk about how much of the state's resources would even begin to feel like historical redress. Joining me now is Curtis Lee, Los Angeles-based economics correspondent for The New York Times. Curtis, thanks for coming on with us. Welcome to WNYC. All right. Thanks so much for having me. So who's on the reparations task force and what has Governor Gavin Newsom asked them to determine? Yeah, so the reparations task force here um, in California, I think we should first step back, obviously, to 2020. After the, the murder of, of George Floyd, we saw a lot of you know social justice protests around this country. We saw a lot of companies, colleges, you know, city and state leaders calling for racial justice. And you know, lawmakers in Sacramento passed a bill that basically would create a nine-member task force to explore reparations in the state of California for African Americans and, and Black citizens, obviously. So, uh, you know, it's a mix of people on this this uh, task force. You have politicians, you have um, academics, you also, um, you know, have lawyers uh, and historians and, and, and people who just really have obviously studied reparations um, the, the, the history of this country. Um, uh, and basically, they've been just really exploring reparations and traveling the state, hearing from, from residents who have suffered from discrimination, whose families, uh, you know, might have lost land here in California due to racist policies. Um, and they've been holding these town hall style meetings, you know, from San Francisco to Los Angeles and Oakland, uh, really hearing from the community, hearing from residents, and really, you know, coming up with an idea of what reparations could possibly even look like in the state of California before they then move it on to uh, a, a final report they will pass along to, to lawmakers in Sacramento to basically come up with uh, a concrete plan that, that the legislature would eventually have to pass. Have you been to any of these town halls as a reporter and heard any yeah. individual stories? Maybe pass uh, one example along here, because we can talk about you know, slavery mm-hmm. and the horrors of slavery and how the economics of slavery affect people to this day, sort of in the abstract. But when we hear a person's story, sometimes it hits home in a different way. So do do you wake up at night thinking about any of them? Yeah, of course. I, I, I went to a, a meeting here in Los Angeles um, in September. And I mean, you, you hear these, these terrible, tragic stories of, of loss, of, of, you know, people who are just really sitting with a lot of pain 
uh, black folks sitting with a lot of pain in this state. And, um, you know, I, I was I really reading the report, the, the committee came out with a, an initial report this summer that really outlined some of the, the you know, the tragedies of, of, you know, slavery and racism here in the state. You know, a lot of, you know, enslaved black people were brought to California during the gold rush era. You know, the report gets into how redlining and, and obviously, you know, racially restrictive covenants had segregated black Cal- black Californians in, in some of the state's biggest cities. And, you know, um, when you look at what happened in the Western edition in San Francisco, the Fillmore district, I mean, this was a vibrant black neighborhood um, in San Francisco. And I mean, this was kind of the Harlem of the West, they called it in a lot of ways. And, and, you know, city officials had, had designated this area a blight eventually in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And, you know, a lot of um, homes were taken, you know, demolished. A lot of, you know, black owned businesses were demolished and people were pushed out, you know, out of San Francisco, black people, and, you know, what really also stuck with me was the story of Russell City, California. Um, it's this community in the East Bay and in, in, in the Oakland, Alameda County area. And, you know, this was a, a community that was a vibrant black community where people through the, you know, fleeing the, the deep south during the Great Migration, um, heading west to Los Angeles and Oakland in the Bay Area, settled in the city of Ru- this, this little community, uh, Russell City. And it was an unincorporated part of Alameda County and basically this, um, you know, the county eventually designated this area a blight. They said that this is, you know, there wasn't running water, there wasn't reliable electricity, but it was home for a lot of people. You know, it was a vibrant community. There was blues clubs. There were, you know, a lot of people sitting on porches reminiscing about their lives that they had fled in the South and now their new work that they were doing in shipyards in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the West. And, you know, eventually, you know, county officials said this was a blight, people need to leave, and they started seizing a lot of properties through eminent domain, and people, you know, who had paid, um, you know, decent money, you know, back in the 50s, 60s for their homes were given, you know, nearly a fraction of what they had paid and forced to move, and a lot of people were relocated into parts of Oakland, into Hayward, um, and further outside in the Bay Area. So, you know, just hearing the stories of, 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 of tragedy, of loss, of, of generational wealth loss, right? I mean, when you look at uh, the median wealth of black households in the United States, you know, it's 24,100 compared to, you know, 188,200 for white households. And, and I, I mean, when you really talk about generational wealth and you look at the history of, of racism in this country, I mean, it really uh, has a lasting legacy. And, and I heard that through those stories in Russell City. Yeah, when I talk thank, to people. thank you for those examples. So how does the task force think reparations would be distributed and how has the task force, if they've gotten this far yet, suggested that it would determine eligibility? Yeah, so the task force is looking at a number of ways, um, you know, that reparations could be implemented. And I should, I should note that, you know, obviously California is the first state in this country to do something like this, to create a reparations task force. This has not happened at the federal level in Congress, you know, for almost 30 years, John Conyers, um, the former uh, representative from Michigan, was really, you know, pushing this bill called H.R. 40 that would essentially create a, a federal task force to explore reparations. And, you know, since Conyers retired and, and, and obviously passed away, Sheila Jackson Lee in Texas has taken over this legislation in Congress. It, said it passed out of committee for the first time um, in 2021, but eventually it stalled on the, the floor of the, the House. And again, so California is very much the first state to do this. But, you know, they also have looked at other examples of what small what cities have done. Evanston, can, I, Illinois. can I jump in on that for, for just a second? Yeah. The Congress piece, of because even with yeah. a Democratic Congress the last few yeah. years, 
they couldn't get this bill, this famous Conyers bill, which we've talked about on the show. Unfortunately, we never yeah. had him during his lifetime. But the the, the all it wouldn't wasn't going to commit anybody to anything. It was just going to study the question, and they couldn't get that through a Democratic Congress. Yeah, and, and that that there was a lot of pressure, obviously, from you know groups like the NAACP. Um, really calling for, you know, Congress to, to step up. And yeah, you're absolutely right. After the momentum that was felt, right, after 2020, after George Floyd's murder, after this, you know, quote unquote, racial reckoning that, that this country was having, you know, um, even Democrats, you know, the, the you know, uh, were really pressed on this issue. And, and you see people like Cory Booker, who was very vocal, you know, in support of 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 um, of this this measure, uh, you know, speaking to the White House, to the Biden administration, um, and, you know, there was movement, though, right? Like, it, it passed out of committee for the first time, but eventually mm-hmm. it did stall. And, and um, yeah, no, it, absolutely. It, it, uh, even with Democrats in, in power, it's, it's, it's been tough to, to get this bill passed. Um, and obviously, then California kind of has essentially replicated what H.R. 40 is on the federal level, basically uh-huh. at the state level here in California. And you were starting to say before, I so rudely interrupted, that there are some smaller examples out there, like at the city yeah. level? Yeah. You see it in Evanston, Illinois recently. Um, uh, uh, officials there passed um, uh, $10 million, uh, approved $10 million in, in the form of housing grants to be doled out in, in terms of reparations. Um, also in Asheville, North Carolina, city leaders have committed $2.1 million um, toward reparations. And these are obviously smaller you know, places, you know, cities, uh, and it's nowhere near the, the level of, of the state of California. But back to the task force in California, they're looking at a number of ways to, to in, implement reparations. You know, this could be also through housing grants. It could be through direct cash payments to residents. Um, but again, a lot of this is up in the air in terms of like what the legislature does with these recommendations that are given to um, them next year from this task force. And, you know, is there the political will to do anything um, it, will they move ahead and actually make any sort of concrete uh, past legislation that offers concrete, you know, you know, payments to black residents? It, it's still all up very much up in the air. Interesting. And I guess what kinds of forms it would take, um, you know, yeah. is a fascinating, uh, rich topic of conversation. For example, Cory Booker who you mentioned, some of the listeners may know, um, that he's kind of famous in this arena for his baby bonds proposal, right, which is for basically every baby in the United States, um, regardless of race, to be given a certain amount of bond credit or whatever you'd call it that would mature when they get to be 18 or so. So they would have this... So there would be equality in, let's say, the ability to afford to go to college, which so distributes by race in this country, you know, because of the legacy of discrimination in this country. That's that's an example, right? I don't know if I got all the details exactly yeah. right, but but that kind of thing with Cory Booker's baby bonds. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and um, uh, you know, in terms of Booker, yeah, he's been a vocal supporter of the you know, reparations. And, and I mean, he's obviously, like you said, been out there with, with um, his effort for baby bonds. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's certainly what, and also lawmakers, the people I talk to here in California, they want to see this as kind of the catalyst to really, you know, 
um, spark a fire under other states as well, possibly, you know, lawmakers in Albany and in New York looking at something similar to what California Mm -hmm. is doing. So they really want to use this as a catalyst to, you know, create this dialogue in this country, right? And not just like, you know, uh, let the events of, you know, the, the, you know, what occurred in 2020 after George Floyd and, you know, kind of dissipate. They really want to, you know, create a catalyst for this to move on, for there to really truly be some sort of racial justice in this country um, uh, in these years ahead. TK in the Bronx, you're on WNYC. Hi, TK. Do we have TK in the Bronx? Oh, now we have you. Sorry. Hi, you're on. So start over. (laughs) Oh, Okay, I'm sorry about that. Uh, sorry, good morning, Brian. Forty years ago, my grandmother left the Bronx and moved to San Francisco. She had a nice home in the Bay Area. I was about 10 years old. I can remember the whole neighborhood, black, the whole neighborhood. We could go out on the porch. I could see the Golden Gate Bridge from my grandmother's porch. 20 years after that, she said, we got to go. We were told we got to go. And I said, Grandma, who, who told you got to go? And she said, the people over here are saying we can't stay here. And they keep raising up my, my taxes. They keep raising up everything, I, my water. I can't stay here. Mm. And she moved from there to Georgia. And she ended up passing away in Georgia. And if I go to that same neighborhood now that I grew up in then, there's not one black family in that neighborhood. And that neighborhood was all black, all. So they they have moved us all over this country and taken away houses time after time. We build it, and for some reason it gets taken away time after time after time. So that's my story, Brian. TK, thank you for thank sharing you. it and keep calling us. And in fact, Curtis, if I'm seeing it right, on housing discrimination specifically, uh, and you can hear the sort of multi-generational emotion in TK's yeah. voice, right? But on housing discrimination specifically, you write in your Times article, the California Task Force estimates compensation of around $569 billion. Do I have that right? And that's just for the years between 1933 and 1977. So, so how did it arrive at that figure? Absolutely. That's, um, you know, that's been in these discussions that that law that the panel has been having with economists and different experts on reparations. And, you know, California, um, like you said, has nearly 39 million people, uh, nearly 6.5 percent of California residents are black. That's around, you know, 2.5 million people who identify as black or African-American here in the state. And and yeah, I mean, these, these are all preliminary figures. Right. So like this is these are just kind of in the discussions and estimations of like what it would cost just for this one area. I mean, this task force has identified several areas so far uh, where they, they would look at, you know, implementing reparations and that number in this area can, can rise, it can be reduced, but some of the areas they're looking at are obviously housing discrimination, mass incarceration, unjust property seizures, um, the devaluation of black businesses, healthcare, um, so yeah, like you said, like th- there is this number that's being you know floated out there, the 569 billion. Um, but again, this is all very much just in discussion, in the form of discussions. The task force has not officially recommended any of this. All of yeah. that, you know, 
will continue to be hashed out in a final report that will be released in 2023, and that it would be on lawmakers in Sacramento to, uh, to uh, you know, pass or not pass uh, different, different forms of reparations in the state. A few more minutes with Curtis Lee, New York Times correspondent in Los Angeles, who has an article about the first-in-the-nation state-level reparations task force studying the idea of reparations for 400 years of slavery and other racism uh, at the state level in California that's going to report back to Governor Newsom and the state legislature there next year and is possibly setting a model for uh, what may be taken up next in other states. And let's take another call. Alan in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hi, Alan. Good morning. I'm a little hoarse. I apologize. I think we have to do with this something alike to what we need to do with COP27. Uh, the funds for loss and damage, not just focus on who is entitled to be compensated, but focusing the source of payments on those most responsible. Because if we only talk about general revenues funding these compensation funds, you're going to scare away many low and moderate income whites who would otherwise support the idea as justice because they're going to be afraid that they're going to be asked to pay an unfair share of problems that they had no role in. That's really interesting, Alan. Thank you. Is the task force dealing with that? And we're almost out of time, Curtis, but Alan raises an interesting question there, uh, which is who pays if California comes up with a reparations bill from this task force? And should it fall on the general fund taxpayer or people who somehow have, you know, benefited more, however that's, um, however that's measured. Yeah, I mean, that's where some of the, um, the pushback, obviously, in Sacramento came, uh, you know, when this bill was presented um, in, in 2020. I mean, you saw, obviously, there was a lot of Republican pushback. Um, some Republicans obviously voted against the measure to create this task force. And, you know, cited, you know, uh, uh, how how the state would pay for this. Would this be from taxpayers? Um, and there were concerns on that front. And, uh, you know, even at the, at the local air level, um, you know, when, with some of these smaller efforts, there's an effort in Hayward, California. Um, you know, I mentioned R- Russell City that that was annexed by Hayward. And uh, in 2020, uh, last year, Hay- the city of Hayward offered a formal apology to residents of Russell City and also created kind of a smaller task force um, that's very local that will look at, you know, reparations at the, at, for, for descendants of Russell City, you know, these couple hundred people who, who you know, several hundred people who, who had lost their homes. And, you know, there was local pushback basically saying that this is, you know, a quote era of social justice um, and that, you know, this, this is not well thought out and, uh, you know, that, 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 that people shouldn't have to, you know, who, who weren't even living in the community then shouldn't have to, you know, essentially, uh, you know, be a part of, of, of funding any sort of reparation. Yeah. So there definitely has been pushback. But, um, you know, all of this uh, remains to be seen as we move into 2023 with, you know, the final recommendations that this task force will present uh, uh, to the state lawmakers here. And, and on that last question, I mean, how serious is Governor Newsom about taking actionable steps toward reparations once the task force completes its work? Because I think it's already clear they're going to come up with some recommendations for some kind of reparations. Yeah. But we know that so many of the promises made by institutions and corporations and the so-called racial reckoning 
era post 2020 have gone unfulfilled? Yeah, and that that that's a that's a critical question. I mean, when when Newsom um, signed this bill in 2020, he um, you know released the statement, really uh, applauding it, and you know uh, you know encouraging. Uh, the task force to get to work and you know he lauded this as a moment of, of reckoning in this state and um you know like you said fast forward a couple of years later now what will the political wins look like is there still a, you know a vested interest from uh you know a, a rising democrat in the party to to really push forward with reparations i think that remains to be seen um you know uh in these months ahead months and years ahead by the way is he um getting ready to run for president <laughs> we, um, we did a call in this week for Democrats asking them if they want um, Biden to run for reelection or not. And a lot of them did. But among those who didn't, several mentioned Gavin Newsom as, as an alternative. Is he laying a groundwork either for that if Biden doesn't run or for 2028, if you can look even that far ahead? You know, I, I think that, you know, um, obviously, Governor Newsom is, is definitely uh, a rising star in the party. I mean, he's, he's kind of, you know, had this elevated, um, you know, level of support in the party, you know, from from people who are looking for an alternative to, to President Biden. He, you know, last earlier this year kind of, you know, um, went around Washington and kind of did a, a tour meeting with, you know, lawmakers on Capitol Hill and, and, and kind of, you know, just really, you know, just kind of putting himself out there more. He faced a recall election uh, last year here that he, he won um, and kind of that really revitalized him and, and really, you know, pushed him more to the national stage. I, I you know, he insists obviously that he's supporting President Biden should President Biden run in 2024. But, you know, I think a lot of options are on the table uh, for Governor Newsom. Curtis Lee, New York Times correspondent in L.A. Thanks so much for getting up early and doing this with us. Really great. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Brian. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.